tonight. Today we come to um, Acts chapter 2. This is a monumental chapter in the Bible that I hope you have already read and are now coming uh, to this podcast. Um, This chapter marks a major shift in salvation history. Here we find the fulfillment of Jesus' promise uh, from chapter 1 when he told them in Acts 1-5, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. At this momentous outpouring, the disciples spoke in different tongues as uh, Peter courageously stood to preach to the masses gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost. On this day, the church grows from 120 in Acts 1.15 to 3,120 at least in Acts 2.41. So let's consider some of the events from that day. First of all, let's think about they began to speak in other tongues. Uh, So as the disciples were all gathered still in the upper room, probably devoted still to continual prayer, The Holy Spirit fell on them and filled them just as Jesus had promised, like I said. Luke describes the disciples seeing, Acts 2-3, divided tongues of fire descending upon them. And here we find the fulfillment of John the Baptist's prophecy when he said to those listening then that Jesus would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, Matthew 3-11. And when it happened and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, something quite remarkable happened. Acts 2-4 says... They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, that's no doubt an interesting phenomenon that is worth our careful attention. Uh, There are masses of Christians today who claim to have the gift of tongues, and many of these also believe that speaking in tongues is the necessary and universal sign and evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Uh, There are many Christians who believe that. Well, are we to conclude that as well? How do... uh, many contemporary expressions of speaking in tongues compared to the example we have here in Acts 2. And what can we say about the phenomenon of speaking in tongues here? Well, I don't want to hear to try to make a case that all claims to speak in tongues today are false. I don't believe that all uh, are false. But I do, however, want to examine the biblical record here and draw some conclusions by which we might be able to interpret present-day experiences. And there are three points that I would note here briefly. First, the tongues in which they spoke here appear to be actual languages that were clearly understood by other nationalities represented in Jerusalem that day. Luke tells us that there were in Jerusalem uh, for Pentecost devout Jews, verse 5 says, from every nation under heaven. As the Spirit fell and the disciples began speaking in in other tongues, notice what Luke specifically mentions in verse 6 when he said, Each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Uh, They were astonished by this in verse 7 and couldn't fathom how these simple men from Galilee were speaking the different languages. This wasn't gibberish or mindless babbling, but this was spirit-given ability to speak the truth of God in an actual language other than their own. For what purpose? We'll consider the next characteristic we notice. Because secondly, the tongues in which they spoke appear to serve the purpose of bearing witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is just as Jesus foretold in John 15, 26, and 27, John 16, 14, and Acts 1, 8. The Spirit came to bring glory to Jesus and to testify about Jesus. When the apostles spoke in other tongues, what were they saying? Luke points out that the people listening said, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, Acts 2, 11. And when Peter stands to preach, his spirit-filled sermon has one point. 
Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth is the Messiah and the Christ promised to come and salvation is only found in him. There's an evangelistic uh, purpose of their spirit-given ability to speak in tongues. That is not a purpose that would be limited to the first century, but if speaking in tongues genuinely, genuinely exists anywhere today, it would be for the same purpose. Thirdly and finally, the tongues in which they spoke here do not appear to be the only and universal evidence of being filled with the Spirit, as some uh, denominations believe today. Th this is only seen as we consider other instances in the book of Acts. When Jesus spoke to his disciples before his ascension and told them that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit and would receive power when, he, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, he made no mention of any accompanying sign such as speaking in tongues. Now, this alone is an argument from silence, and we know that in chapter 2 there was an accompanying sign of speaking in tongues. In fact, in chapter 10, when the Gentile Cornelius and his family received the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts 10, 45, and 46, they too speak in tongues. But we do have examples in Acts where they are filled with the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues. See, for example, Acts 4.31 and Acts 13.52. For these reasons, I, I would be skeptical of any who claim that one must speak in tongues to give evidence of being filled with the Spirit. The purpose of speaking in tongues here is to be a miraculous sign that a significant change in salvation, salvation history has come. The Savior has come. And the floodgate of salvation would now be opened as never before to the Gentiles. Secondly, let's think about Peter for a second. It's also interesting to watch Peter because, at least especially considering the nature of our most recent encounters with him. Up to this point in our journey through the Gospels, how have we found Peter? We often found Peter with a lot of bluster, but not always much depth and fortitude. He's often the one who speaks up first and loudest but doesn't always follow through with his claims. In some of our most recent encounters with Peter, we found him boldly claiming uh, never to deny the Lord Jesus, for example, Mark 14, 29, but then weakly um, succumbing to fear and the desire for self-preservation to the point of going cowardly, going back cowardly on his promise, never to deny Jesus and denying him three times in a single night. Then at the end of John's gospel, we saw Peter in humble repentance and Jesus graciously forgiving him and restoring him. But here in Acts 2, it is Peter who stands up in front of thousands to preach the saving grace of Jesus and boldly call them to repentance. The same Peter who fearfully denied knowing Jesus when questioned by a little servant girl in John 18 is now the fearless preacher before thousands. What happened? The Holy Spirit happened. One of the marks of being filled with the Holy Spirit is boldness in bearing witness to Jesus. Again, see Acts 4.31. Jesus told his disciples that when the Spirit came, he, the Holy Spirit, will bear witness about me, Jesus. And thereby, John 15, 26 and 27, you also will bear witness. The one thing they would need uh, was boldness, which the Spirit gave them in ample measure. And he will do the same in us if we will simply trust him and be obedient in our witness lastly we have in this chapter the very first description of the very first new testament church in acts 2 42 through 47 it is not a complete description but it does highlight what they held as priorities they valued the scriptures and the teaching of the apostles uh, from the scriptures they they valued prayer fellowship 
gathering for worship, evangelism, and sacrificially meeting each other's needs. They were a completely selfless group. They loved Jesus and, and loved each other more than they loved themselves. They, and I just pray that the Lord would instill these same characteristics in us because uh, if it was counterculture in that day, it most certainly would be counterculture in our day. I pray that this would happen and God would, through that, use us for his glory as he did in them. And those are some thoughts from Acts chapter 2.